Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'd open up a Bible to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read some verses there in just a moment. That'll get things started for us in the Word of God. Matthew chapter 6. That is what this portion of our worship is all about. It is about God's Word, about listening to the Lord through His Word. We've been speaking to the Lord already through song and through prayer, and so now we want to spend a few minutes listening to Him. It's great to see everybody this morning. We've got a good number in attendance. Glad to have uh, not only just our members here, but we're glad to have some visitors with us, even some first-time guests. We appreciate it so much that you've come to be with us and hope that you find everything that we're doing today to be found in harmony with God's Word. We're just seeking to please Him and to do things in His way. In Matthew chapter 6, let's begin right here, smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says in Matthew 6 and in verse 19, He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I am pleased to announce this morning that Tiffany and Hattie and I will be upgrading our standard of living considerably very, very soon. Very, very soon, I will be wearing $2,000 custom tailor-made suits and Rolex watches. Tiffany will be dripping in diamonds and pearls. Hattie's going to be driving around a gold-encrusted big wheel. And we'll all show up at church in a limousine. All of this is possible because of a friend that I didn't even know that I had in Nigeria who emailed me this past week to tell me about a large sum of money, $10.5 million. I've got it highlighted there. $10.5 million U.S. dollars that is sitting unused in a long-lost bank account overseas and that he's willing to have transferred to me immediately. Aren't I lucky? I hit the jackpot here. I'm pretty excited about this. $10.5 million. That's a chunk of change. I've been thinking about what I'm going to do with all of that money. I've been thinking about how I'm going to pay off my mortgage on my house and on my car. I'm thinking about getting all the plumbing in my house rewired and repiped so that I can have Mountain Dew just brought straight into the faucet. I'm thinking about having my my lawn, my yard, having that astroturf so that I can just pay a guy to vacuum it every week. No more of this mowing business. I'm thinking about a lot of things that I can use all that money for. It's just going to be great. Now, you're laughing, and I'm guessing what you're thinking is, is you're thinking, Josh, that's not legitimate. That ain't going to happen. You're not going to get $10.5 million because that's a hoax. And you're right. I have resigned myself to the fact that that is a scam, the Nigerian email scam. I assume that probably just about everybody gets an email very similar to that one spammed into your email on a near daily basis. That kind of spam promises everybody that you can get really, really rich really, really fast. In fact, that's not the only kind of get rich really, really fast kind of scheme that is available in our world today. We see this quite commonly in the world today. Websites and books and infomercials are just promoted everywhere, promising people all kinds of financial wealth and success beyond their wildest imaginations, with very little effort, and with very little time. All you need to do is give your name, your social security number, and a valid major U.S. credit card, and all these riches can be yours. And unfortunately, lots of folks are 
very naive. They're very susceptible. And they do fall for that kind of stuff. And they do send their social security number to the Nigerian email. And why do people do that? Because people want to get really, really rich really, really fast. Well, this morning, I want to offer you a get-rich-quick plan. But I must tell you, it is a little bit different than all of these plans. I am offering you riches... And I am offering those riches really, really fast. But what makes this plan unique and different from all of the others is that this one actually works. This morning I want to showcase a plan on how to get rich quick spiritually. I really don't know anything at all about how to expand your stock portfolio. I'm not the guy to go to and ask for advice on how to fatten your savings account. But I can show you some things about God's plan to make you and to make me spiritually wealthy. The very most important kind of wealth that we could ever hope to possess. In fact, that's exactly what Jesus just said in our opening text in Matthew chapter 6. Did you notice that? Jesus said, lay up treasures in heaven. Spiritual riches He's talking about. Be counted rich in spiritual things. Are you interested in that? I know that I most certainly am. The truth of the matter is, most folks today in our world, they're not interested in spiritual riches. Think about it. You can't spend spiritual riches down at the Corvette store. That's not the way that works. You can't count spiritual riches and put a dollar figure on it and say, this is how many spiritual riches I have. You can't do that. And so as a result, lots of folks look at a passage like Matthew chapter 6 and they say, Treasures in heaven. I, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that means. I'm not interested in some sort of, sort of abstract spiritual riches, whatever that is. Listen to me very carefully this morning. When Jesus talks about spiritual riches, He is offering you essentially a home in heaven. That's what that's about. That you can go and live in the best place, far beyond what you can imagine. You can live there with God forever, world without end. And that kind of wealth, it is worth more than anything that this old world has to offer. I cannot even begin to place a price tag on the immeasurable riches that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 6. And I want you to know this morning, That you don't have to wait all the way until eternity in order to get those riches. No, you can be spiritually rich now. Right now. And I want to show you this morning three ways, just right out of Scripture, in which you can get spiritually rich quick. And that begins, first of all, by talking about something that I know that many of us in this room have already done, But that is, we can start by getting rich by being baptized into Christ. I really cannot think of any way to get richer quicker than to be baptized into Christ Jesus. Now, for those of you that are Christians, you might be thinking that, well, Josh, this isn't really a point that we need to spend and belabor a lot of time with. After all, we all know about baptism. We all teach about baptism. We've seen baptisms before. Baptism, in some ways, almost becomes kind of a ho-hum, been there, done that sort of thing. But can I show you someone in the Bible who did not view baptism as a ho-hum sort of affair? Look at Acts chapter 22 with me. 
In Acts chapter 22, I'm reading here about the Apostle Paul. And he is recounting his conversion story as he speaks to this angry mob of Jews. In Acts chapter 22, in verse number 16, kind of the concluding thoughts of Paul telling this story of his own life, in verse 16, he repeats the word of, of Ananias who had come to him. Acts 22, verse 16, Ananias said to him, And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Focus very carefully on that expression, wash away your sins. I want you to think about where Saul was in that moment of time when Ananias spoke those words to him. Saul was very much at a crossroads where he realized, as he was talking to Jesus on the road to Damascus, he realizes that everything that he stood for, everything that he thought was right, everything that he seemed to understand, all of that, all of that was mistaken. Everything that he thought was right was wrong. And everything that he thought was wrong was right. He was going in the wrong direction in a million miles an hour. His life was a total disaster. He was not right with God, and he realized that. And so what Saul wanted, what Saul needed, was a do-over. He needed a fresh start. What Saul needed was a second chance. And so Ananias comes to him. And what does he say, verse 16? He says, wash away your sins. Let me ask you, what value do you think Saul put on those words in that moment? That if I am baptized, I will be, I will be forgiven. I will be fresh. I will be clean. I will be pure and right in the eyes of God. I will be forgiven. Well, what do you think that was worth to Saul that we later knew as Paul? Well, we know what it was worth to him because, because he wrote about it. Would you find a couple of passages in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, you just start noticing how Paul viewed baptism and the value it held in his life, the forgiveness and mercy of God. We see the value of it just in his own writing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look in verse 9. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Paul says, through the grace of Jesus, I've been made rich. Look also in Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, Paul says this in verse 12. In Romans 10 and in verse 12, as Paul talks about the Lord bringing Jews and Gentiles all together into this one body, he says in verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches... On all who call on Him. Think about those expressions there. Paul went from being spiritually bankrupt to being spiritually wealthy, spiritually rich, beyond words. And when did that happen? Well, for Saul, that happened when he was baptized into Christ, when his sins were washed away, when he called on the name of the Lord. Now, let me ask you, what is that kind of fresh start What is that worth to you? To be scrubbed clean? To get to start over? To have that second chance and to get a fresh start on life? 
You know and I know that there are lots of people in this world who are just dying for that kind of a second chance at life. That if somebody came to them right now and said, now I'll tell you what, if you'll write me a check with this many zeros on it, you're going to get a do-over. He would be willing, I'll line up, I'll write that check because I want that do-over. And yet Saul, he paid nothing. He did virtually nothing. And I'm guessing that when he did that baptism thing, I'm guessing it probably didn't even take that long. And isn't that true? Baptism isn't about what we do. In baptism, we don't hardly do anything. Baptism is a very passive act. Someone does it to you. And furthermore, baptism is about what God has done and what God is doing. And the Bible even makes that point. Look in Colossians 2. In Colossians chapter 2, as Paul talks about baptism here, notice what he says. Who's doing the real work here? In Colossians chapter 2, look in verse 11. In Colossians 2 and verse 11, "...in Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith..." Notice this, "...in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead." You see, it's about the powerful working of God. It's about what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing in the waters of baptism. That's what makes baptism so powerful. That's what makes baptism so amazing. And you want to talk about quick. I mean, come on. How long does it take to be baptized? A couple of minutes at the most? You tell me. You tell me. How can a person get richer quicker than by being baptized into Jesus Christ. You know, just imagine that you're on vacation. Uh, maybe you're going to Washington, D.C. Uh, somebody may have plans to be going to Washington, D.C. this summer. I don't know. But imagine you go to D.C. and you're going to take a tour of the United States Mint. That's the place where they make all the money. And imagine the guy at the door, as you're getting ready to go through the door, the guy says, hey, congratulations, you are our one millionth visitor. Wow, okay. Well, do I win anything? Yes, you win a special prize. You get to go and you get to run the, the printing press, the press that makes the money. You get to go and run the press for 10 minutes and however much money you can crank out at the end of that 10 minutes, you get to keep all of that money for yourself. What are you going to say to that offer? Are you going to say, Nah, nah I'm not really interested in that. I ain't got time for that. I'm busy doing other stuff. We'll take a rain check on that. Maybe at some point later we'll come back and we'll do that. No, of course not. You get an offer like that, where you can get that much money in that short a time, you're going to make a press run to make as much money as you possibly can. Now let me ask you, why is it when the Lord offers the blessings through baptism, the blessings of forgiveness, the blessings of being adopted by God into His family, all of the blessings and riches that are found in Christ Jesus, why is it that when the Lord offers that, Why is it that many people do not take advantage of that same offer? Maybe even just as bad is when people say, Oh yeah, I want to do that, and I think that looks really good, but not right now. One of these days I will. Yeah, I'll I'll take one of those rain checks. I'll come back and I'll, I'll get me some of those spiritual riches later on. Why would anyone do that? The Lord offers everyone the chance to be spiritually enriched through this process known as baptism. And it is not difficult, and it doesn't take that long. 
And I will tell you this morning that if you are here and you have never done that, you have never been baptized for the remission of your sins, then you're going to get a few minutes right now to chew on that, mull that over, let that be working in your mind, because in just a few moments when we stand and sing that invitation song, then you're going to have the opportunity to grab a hold of those riches as we offer the invitation of the Lord. But you know, baptism is not the only way that you can become spiritually rich. Let me tell you, secondly, what about whenever you regularly read and study the Bible? That's right, you can become spiritually wealthy by spending time, even just a little bit of time each day, in the Word of God. And the Bible speaks to that explicitly. Look in Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, in this wonderful psalm that praises God for the excellency of His written revelation, His written Word, the psalmist writes this in Psalm 19. I'm reading here beginning in verse 7. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Verse 10 now. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. You see that there? The psalmist says that this book, the Word of God, it is more valuable to you than a stack of gold bricks. You ever think about that? I mean, just like in your day-to-day life, do you think about that? We sing songs about that whenever we come together in this place. In fact, we have a song that's specifically based off of Psalm 19. And we sing those very words in the chorus. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much fine gold. Can I ask you? Do you believe that when you sing that? Tom led for us Wednesday night the song, Give Me the Bible. Give me the Bible. I want the Bible. I want all the riches that are found in that. Do we believe that when we're singing that? When we go to God in prayer and we thank Him for the gift of His Word, do we really mean that? And does that show in our day-to-day lives? I want you to understand that singing about the Bible, being thankful for the Bible in our prayers, that's a whole lot different than actually reading the Bible. In fact, singing about and praying about the Bible without actually reading the Bible... That's kind of like somebody who praises the value of the seatbelt, but then never buckles up when they go driving in their car. We don't want to be that person. We want to be about the business of actually reading and studying and meditating upon God's Word. Because it provides for us just enormous spiritual wealth. Can I show you that more explicitly? Look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, please. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, here's a passage that we are so familiar with, I'm afraid that many times we just don't even notice what's even being said there. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, notice there beginning in verse 16. In 2 Timothy 3 and in verse 16, Paul writes, All Scripture is breathed out by God. Just stop right there. Scripture, this book, breathed out by God. Think about that. 
That means that anything that you want to know, anything that you need to know, you'll find it right here. You want to know what God says about marriage? Scripture. You want to know what God says is going to happen when you die? Scripture. You want to know what God says about being a good employee in the workplace? Scripture. You want to know what God says about being a good child? Scripture. You want to know what God says about being a good a good spouse or a good parent? Scripture. When you're reading the Bible, you are reading the very thoughts of God, breathed out and recorded down in words that we can understand. And when you have that, then you have a book, furthermore, verse 16 says, that is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Think for a moment about those various uses of Scripture. First of all, the Bible tells us what's right. That's that first expression there. That the Scripture is profitable for doctrine or for teaching. I want to know about that, don't you? I want to know what's right. I want to know what's right because there's so much misinformation in our world today. So many lies and untruths about God and about His expectations of man. I don't want any of that. I want to know what is true, what is right. And the Bible Bible does just that. Furthermore, the Bible tells us what's wrong. And that's that term reproof. And I want to know about that too. I want to know what I need to steer clear of. Things that I need to avoid. I know that there are things that I could get into trouble with if I involve myself in. And so the Bible tells me to avoid those things. The Bible tells me what's wrong. Then thirdly, the expression is, is that if I'm wrong, the Bible's going to tell me how to get right. And that's that term correction. That whenever I do get off the path, maybe I even find myself in the ditch spiritually, then the Bible's going to teach me how to get out of that ditch so that I can start living right once again. And I love that. The Bible's going to show me how to repent and how to correct my life. And then once I do get my life right, then fourthly, the Bible's going to show me how to stay right. And that's that business of training in righteousness. And I really want to know about that. That teaches me how to defeat temptation. That teaches me how to grow. That teaches me how to be stronger. That teaches me how to continue walking in the light. The Bible shows us how to do that. Now you just... Add all that up. Look at what you get when you read and study and meditate upon God's Word. You get to know what's right, what's wrong, how to get right, how to stay right. To me, and I can't speak for you, but to me, that's worth more than all the money in the world multiplied by by infinity. This book has value. This book has significance. This book has power in your life. If you'll allow it. And all too often, that's the problem. That's where things break down. We don't let the Bible exercise its power in our lives because we don't actually devote the time to read it. I wonder sometimes if maybe we would be more interested in the Bible if we thought about just how fortunate and blessed we are to have a word from God And even more specifically, that we live in a time and we live in a country and in a place where we are allowed to own a copy of God's Word and to read it for ourselves. You know, maybe if we thought, for example, about about how during the Middle Ages, the Roman Catholic Church, they ferociously persecuted anyone 
who would dare think about giving a Bible to the common man. That there were men and women who attempted to translate the Bible into the common language of the people. Those people, when they were hunted down, they were put to death for doing that. I think about William Tyndale. Probably one of the most famous examples. William Tyndale was a scholar who had spent much of his life trying to translate the Scriptures out of the original Greek and the original Hebrew language into the common English that the people spoke. Tyndale wanted an accurate translation that everybody could be able to read for themselves and not have to have some priest or some clergy person be able to read and interpret those things for you. And do you know what he got for his troubles? For his troubles, he was kidnapped by Roman Catholic agents. He was strangled. And then his body was burned at the stake. People like William Tyndale, they were willing, think about this, willing to lay down their lives for this book. Think about how valuable that means this book was to him. How much is this book worth to you? You know, if there was a book, there was some book out there on the, you know, that you could get at Barnes and Noble or off Amazon, a book that promised you that when you read it, it'll make you financially rich and it'll make you exponentially rich pretty quickly. Would you want that book? Would you want to read that book? Even if that book was maybe a little hard to read in certain places, you had to kind of had to do a little bit of work to kind of read through and understand it, would you still wade through that book in order to get that reward at the end and to be financially rich? Sure you would. I think we all would. My question is, why are we then not willing to do that for spiritual riches? Think about your level of Bible reading. Think about your level of interaction on a day-to-day basis with God's Word. What if you just read just, just one chapter a day? There's a reason that the Bible reading schedules that I've produced for the last four years now, it's just one chapter a day. We're not talking about some huge commitment of time. One chapter a day. Think about in that one chapter every day, think about how enriched your life would be over time. You read a chapter of the Bible, you're going to get to hear Jesus preach. You read a chapter of the Bible, you're going to see the mighty works of God on display. You read a chapter of the Bible, you'll see how New Testament Christians did it in New Testament times. We're reading in the book of Acts right now. You'll see that. You read and you study the Bible, your faith will grow. Your character will be deepened. Your resolve will be strengthened. You will be brought to make changes and to repent. You will come to a greater appreciation of the Lord Himself. Add all that up. What's all that worth to you? That in just a few minutes a day, you can become extremely wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. That is, if if you'll devote yourself to the reading of God's Word. Thirdly, and finally this morning, let me show you one other way that you can become spiritually rich, and you can do that relatively quickly. And that is by serving someone other than yourself. It really would be incomplete for me to talk about wealth and riches this morning without reading some verses out of the Gospel of Luke. Would you find Luke 16, please? In Luke 16, the reason I say that is because probably more than any of the other gospel writers, Luke records Jesus' teaching about money and about wealth more than any of the other writers. And Jesus talks at length about how physical, you know, material wealth 
it pales in comparison to true spiritual wealth. And so we read in Luke chapter 16, this is as Jesus talks about, uh, talking about riches here in Luke 16, look in verse number 11. In Luke 16 and verse 11, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? It's a comparison that Jesus is making there. Can I get you to hold that thought now and look with me in Luke chapter 12? Look in Luke chapter 12 and verse 21. In Luke chapter 12 in verse 21 now, Jesus says here at the conclusion of a parable, He says in verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, I am impressed in both of those verses with what Jesus says about true riches and about being rich toward God. And more specifically, I'm impressed with the context in which Jesus made those statements. Because His statements in Luke chapter 16 are shortly before Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And then Jesus' statements here in Luke chapter 12 come right at the conclusion of the parable of the rich fool. Both of those stories are stories about individuals who were materially wealthy and yet they were spiritually bankrupt. The rich man in Luke chapter 16 and the rich fool in Luke chapter 12 Both of these guys had lots of money. They had lots of stuff. They had lots of wealth. But they didn't have true riches. They were not rich toward God. And that's because they were all about themselves. They weren't thinking about others. They were only thinking about themselves. They couldn't be bothered with helping and serving another person. Lazarus, I ain't got time for that guy. Can't be serving him. Or the rich fool, I've got all these things. I can't be thinking about what I can do for other people. I need to think about myself and building myself some bigger barns. And what Jesus is stressing in those passages, amongst other things, is that the definition of real riches is whenever we use our finances and our material blessings and our time and our energy and our passion and our efforts and our talents and our abilities, when we use those things for someone other than self, that we've got to get outside of ourselves and we've got to be doing for others. One writer put it this way. He said, Surely we can work and earn and save And we can work and earn and save. And in so doing, we can build huge bank accounts and we can enlarge our homes. We can plan our retirement and our 401k so that we'll be able to spend our twilight years in absolute comfort. We can live as if this is all there is to life. And we can laugh our way to the grave only to discover at the end that we have nothing and that we are fools in the eyes of the Lord. The writer went on to say, or or we can invest in Christ and invest in His kingdom and in His people and in His work by giving and giving and giving some more and in so doing, we can be counted rich toward God. And I would give a hearty amen to all of those statements. Because true riches do not come from getting and getting and taking and taking, no. True riches come from giving and serving. And so I must ask then in that vein, just how rich are you? 
How much are you serving others? Somebody maybe says, well, Josh, I'd, I'd love to do that, but hey, don't you know, I've got, I've got a family, got little kids I'm raising, and I've got a full-time job, and got all kinds of obligations with that. And I just don't have all this time, and I don't have all this energy, and I actually don't even have all the resources to be doing for other people. I can't make those kinds of big investments in the kingdom. Oh, come on now. What did Jesus say in Mark 9, verse 41? Jesus said, just a cup of cold water in His name given. The Lord's not asking us to do some big, ginormous, huge act of service. The Lord's just asking us to just do what we can with what we have right where we are. And there is so much that we can do. And I would submit to you there is so much we can do in a very short time. And as a result, we can get really rich really quick. You think about technology, how technology has helped us here. We have email, and we have Facebook messaging, instant messaging. It's so easy. Literally seconds in which we can send a note of encouragement. We can say a word of comfort. We can send some words that might brighten someone's life. Just shoot that out just, just a moment just a moment or two. Just say, hey, missed you at services. Is everything okay? Hey, heard you were sick. Is there, is there something I can do for you? We've got cell phones, and regardless of what we've been trained to believe here recently, those devices are originally designed for making calls. And when we're sitting in traffic out here, maybe 27's all backed up, we're trying to come home from work, and we're sitting at the lights. I have found that quite often, that's when I do a lot of my phone calling. Ain't got nothing else going on. So I'll start calling some people. I'll start checking on some people. Call on some folks. Find out, hey, how's it going? Just maybe say something just to, just to brighten their day. I was thinking about you today. Hey, I've been praying for you. Boy, that means a lot when somebody says that and they actually mean it. Or you think about even making donations to charity. There's all kinds of websites. I know I've got charities that I, that I like to, to help support when I can. Get on the internet. Just a matter of just putting in a little bit of information and bam! Be able to help some folks in a powerful way. Or maybe finding a brother or a sister in Christ who is in need and helping with those needs. You know, 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us there that those who are materially wealthy, that they ought to be rich in good works. And to do that by sharing through acts of generosity. Or what about ladies? What about cooking up that, that good casserole that you make so well? And go taking that over to that family that's recently lost a loved one. Or maybe giving that elderly brother or that elderly sister a ride to the doctor's office. Just a few minutes of your time, taking them to that doctor's appointment. Or maybe just bringing them to services. I realize, you think about all those things. All those things are comparatively small things. They don't take very long to do. Some of you ladies with those casseroles, you might argue with that, that it does take a little bit of time. But in the grand scheme of things, we're not talking about a lot. And those things are not very difficult. But in Jesus' accounting, those are the kinds of things that make you rich toward God. And I want you to understand, and I need to understand, that there are eternal implications to this willingness to serve others. Look at Matthew 25, one final passage this morning. In Matthew chapter 25, as Jesus discusses the final judgment, maybe we could call it the day of accounting, because that is what it's going to be. In Matthew 25, we are told in verse 31 that when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And before Him will be gathered all the nations 
And He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. Cha-ching! That right there is it. That's those treasures in heaven that we began with in Matthew chapter 6. That is the spiritual wealth that we are all longing for. The king is going to say to these people, you get to come in. Well, why do you get to come in? You get to come in, verse 35, because when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. And when I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous are going to answer him and going to say, Lord, well, well, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. What is it that adds up here? What is it that adds up and is of supreme importance in the day of judgment? It's those small acts of kindness. Visiting, feeding, caring, helping, serving. I think we sometimes get to thinking that, well, judgment day is going to be all about pulling out my attendance chart at church. Was I there at every service? Did I pray every day? And that's going to be the measuring stick for whether or not, whether or not we get into heaven. Well, I think those things are important. And I think that might come into the play there. But Matthew chapter 25 teaches us that here's what's really going to matter. Did we serve? Did we do for others? And in so doing, we were serving Jesus Himself. Those who do these things, Jesus says, they're going to be found to be very rich. The Lord knows who those people are. He invites them to come into His house for all eternity. These are the people who on the day of judgment, they find that their account is full. And it doesn't get any better than that, does it? That is true riches. Now I should confess to you this morning that I do not expect that Anytime soon, Tiffany and I are going to be rolling into services in a chauffeured limousine. She'll not be wearing real diamonds and pearls. I won't be wearing custom-made tailor suits. I realize I'm not getting that $10.5 million anytime soon. I understand that, and I trust that you do too. And in some ways, even talking about that this morning, even using all of that kind of carnal language about wealth and riches, and getting rich. Eh, in some ways, I just, ugh, I just really don't even like to talk in those terms. But Scripture does use those ideas in a metaphorical sense and compares them to spiritual things in order to convey spiritual truths. And so what I trust this morning is I trust that you have seen just how valuable these spiritual riches are. It's not an exhaustive list, but it sure is a good start. And if we see how valuable these things are, I would hope nobody would look at that today and say, nah, that's all worthless. All of us would nod our heads in agreement and say, yes, yes, all of these things are of enormous value. Then can I ask you, why? Why would any of us pass up the opportunities to get rich and to get rich right now?
I would encourage my brothers and my sisters in Christ. I would encourage you to think long and hard about point number two and point number three. To think long and hard about the role that Bible reading and service unto others, think about what kind of role that plays in your life. And if you find that that doesn't play as big of a role as it should, I hope you will realize that as a result, that makes you poor. That makes you very poor. But you can get rich. You can devote yourself, recommit yourself to be more serious about studying God's Word and serving others. And then what about those people who fall into category number one, who haven't done number one yet? I told you you were going to get a few minutes to think about that baptism thing. How about it now? Where are you at now on that? There are those in this room that I know you have heard the gospel many, many times over. You don't need an explanation to you about who Jesus is and about what He came to do and all the details of that and about God's plan of salvation. You don't need all that explained to you. You're just sitting on the dime. Today's the day to get off the dime. Today is the day to come forward to confess your faith in Jesus Christ as God's Son and to then submit yourself to the waters of baptism so that all of your past sins can be washed away. You can be, you can be forgiven. And you can get that second chance, that fresh start, that will make you just rich beyond measure. If there's anyone here this morning who needs to respond to heaven's invitation in whatever way that you need, then this invitation is open for you. Would you take advantage of it? Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.